the customers grew, the budget grew, the peak was 5 million per month. I was sponsored for and for delivery of the year. IPO, so I did some angel investing, freelancing, the pattern like three, four times changing after one year, two years of certain things. You now create a business, which I can do for 10 plus years, just because I'm super authentic. What is up, everyone? I'm your host, Chris, and you're listening to Nonlinear, the podcast in which we unpack these strategies, hacks, and decisions high-achieving young professionals use in 2023 to design careers they love. In this episode, I speak with my friend Alexei Habinski, who's a growth marketer by the book. He did Rocket Internet's Growth Manager program in 2015 in Rocket's Prime, which then basically leads you up to become a CMO. Alexei managed an ad budget of around $5 million at Fudora and then stayed up until the exit at Delivery Hero. Afterwards, a personal odyssey for Alexei began from angel investing to freelancing to starting an own company. At some point, Alexei realized the pattern that he was always quitting what he was starting after one or two years and then tells us how he's been redesigning his life to find an operating system which is actually more resilient and fun at the same time and around which he now builds his business. This is a super exciting episode. I'm stunned by how openly Alexei speaks about everything. Let's dive right in. Hey, Alexei, super happy to, to welcome you. Hi, Christian. Nice to be here. Hey, uh, Alexei. So we just started the pre-con we had just uh, with you listening into one of the podcast episodes. Like, Yeah, I listened to Ben. Yeah. Uh, it was a very exciting podcast. Actually, I also met him in person. And it's incredible how early he understood that the top-down mindset really makes everything easier, it's meaning that you first understand what are your values, what do you actually want in your life, and then you orient all your decisions uh, to get there. Most people, including me, are drifting and don't really know what they want. I think that was really inspiring to see how such a young person actually figured it out. And then you also see where this gets you. Have you worked with some kind of those frameworks already in your life? Like some type of career planning, life planning framework? Because you, you're like LinkedIn and your experience is of course super cool. Like what you've been doing back then. Like how have you navigated your career up until now? Yeah. So I think there were probably three phases in my career. The first one was when I was 17, I did some online marketing stuff on the internet when it was very nerdy and did it. And I was watching, I was reading Oliver Zamba on, on Gunnarsszene and he was like the, the German entrepreneur, internet entrepreneur, and I was inspired by that. So at that time I, I decided I want to be a successful entrepreneur, 16, 17 years old. And then everything I did, I was optimizing for that goal. So I went to a good business school. I went to internships. I went to Rock Internet, actually. I want to become a founder there. I joined a company and uh, the goal of joining this company was to learn how to build companies. At some point, I realized, okay, now I'm in this company, but I'm in middle management. I'm not really learning how to build a company because now it's a big company. So when I joined, was like 100 employees and then two and a half years later, it was 1,500. And I was really good managerial position for my age, but not really learning how to build a company and how to become an entrepreneur. So I left and then I was pretty lost and I did a lot of different things, freelancing and founding and not actually doing it and investing and raising maybe a fund over several years. And then I was asked to join a company as a founder, as a co-founder. And now it's the third phase where I go back from lost to top-down mindset, <laughs> where I basically try to understand what, how does my dream life look like? What are dimensions? And dimensions for me are living according to my values, trying to spend time in a fulfilled and content way and also being successful. And uh, as soon as I defined those things, 
it made all decisions much, much easier on one hand. On the other hand, I also feel like I'm progressing much faster towards those things. And interestingly, the goal of becoming a successful entrepreneur is still really important for me, but it's not the only thing anymore. That's one of the main important things in my life. Super interesting. And the form has changed, right, of entrepreneurship for you? Yes. So I, I think when I was 16, 17, I even didn't know what entrepreneurship is. And for me, entrepreneurship was, there's an article about you in, in a founder magazine, and they referred to you as an entrepreneurship. So that's how much I knew. Yeah, actually, I had no idea. And over, and then I thought entrepreneurship means raising some money and building a company and hiring people, and then you're an entrepreneur. And then I realized also in my last company, that's not enough. Actually, then at some point investors want to see actual results. They want to see revenues and they want to see profit. They want to see you building an actual business. And I realized an actual business is based on their custom problems and you're building some kind of service or product that solves those problems and people pay you for it. That's the core of the business. And then you maybe scale it with systems, people. So now. I basically do a bootstrap business because I need to learn and I want to learn how to build a business bootstrapped. And then maybe at some point I can leverage myself with external money, but that makes much more sense. It's much easier, faster, low pressure. Can I, I even understand why I thought that raising money is the only way or the best way. I think it's, so I refer to it as playing the Champions League, but before you play Champions League, let's play the third league or second league or first league in your national league. Uh, before you go to Champions League. It's probably, it probably comes from the rocket internet paradigm, right? They were able to raise super quickly because they copied existing businesses. So they basically de-risked everything. And this is where the, this mentality came from. Then you work for a couple of years for them. So you basically were born in this entire ecosystem. And that's why you had to de-educate yourself or, re or relearn everything. How was this relearning phase, by the way? You touched upon a couple of points like before when you said, I like after Fedora, basically. So after you did this, the, the CMO or, or growth manager program there and um, who, yeah, then Fedora was acquired. I think it, then you left and then you freelanced a bit and you mentioned that you were a bit lost. What happened in this period and like what happened in your mind from when to when was it roughly? And then you also mentioned a couple of companies. I think one of them is Anymove and the other one was something else. Yeah, so let me elude a more chronological order. So basically, I joined Rocket Internet as a growth manager. Basically, it was a future CMO program. We were back then world champions in honor marketing, I had some honor marketing experience. So that was great. I was taught by the experts there in, in marketing, honor marketing. And yeah, the business model of Rocket Internet was to copy existing business models in as many countries as possible and then sell them to someone else. But this doesn't mean that they're actually building businesses or entrepreneurs. They're just copying stuff. And the whole organization was optimized for that. So after I left Rock Internet and this whole ecosystem, I realized that copying existing business models in for many countries, that's an important skill, but that's that, so much is missing. So much is missing. And no one taught me that. So that was interesting. In Rocket, most of the time I spent was one company called Fedora, which we also worked together at. And it was a food delivery service, one of the first ones in, in, in Germany, delivering also and not just um, connecting the restaurant to the customer, but also delivering. So it's a three-sided marketplace. It's a very exciting business model, actually. And I was the number two in marketing, responsible for the consumer and the career side, going from 
I still remember I was 22 years old and they told me, okay, now you're the head of market, online marketing here. Here are your eight people. Here's your 150K euro budget per month. Go. I said, all right, let's go. I have no clue what I'm doing here, but it's <laughs> going to be that hard in the magazine. But yeah, of course, I had no clue, even though I was taught, but still had no clue. So I did a lot of mistakes, but somehow it worked out. And the orders grew, the company grew, the customers grew, the budget grew. I think the peak was 5 million per month and that I was responsible for my, so I was number two. Number one was Julian Damas, who is now the founder of Flink. So it was a very exciting time to work with him. And yeah, then I left because I wanted to found my own company and how I approached this, I, the spreadsheet, the, the scoring. Okay. So what are the industries, what's the margin, the fragmentation and like all those things, the classic Excel founder. So then I, with this Excel, I terminated my contract with five months notice, look for a successor. And then when I left, I was like, okay, now I want to do this perfume brand that has mm-hmm. high margins. But I, was this I don't a copying know, idea back then, by the way? Was it that you were looking at Flaconi already? No, it was because I was thinking, okay, I can do marketing. So I do something that's heavy in marketing and data consumer brands is basically sourcing and marketing, nothing else. So I spoke to some people in the beauty industry and realized sourcing is also pretty easy. So I was like, okay, perfumes, high margin, then not so much competition, marketing, let's go. Yeah. And then it was a really strange thing. It's a really strange time. Because I didn't have the energy and the motivation and to do it. And I, no one understood why I'm doing it. I also didn't understand. It was a really strange um, feeling, which I never had because I was always like, I know the goal and I went there and now I'm like, so now I'm about to found this company, fulfill my dream that I always had since I'm whatever, 17 years old. And I couldn't do it. Uh, and then I think I was sick uh, at some point for two weeks. And then after I was healthy again, I decided no, so something's wrong. That's not the right thing. Let's look for a job or freelancing gig or something else. Yeah. And then I started helping my friends uh, with marketing and then worked out. And then at some point, someone asked me whether I also take money for it. So I started this yeah, interim CMO work and it worked really well. And yeah. And then, and then you founded Animove? So it was a roller coaster. So as always, so I did this uh, interim CMO thing, which was not planned. It just happened because people asked me and it worked, but that was not my goal. My goal was to found a company. So what it is, I also started investing because Fedora was part of the delivery here, delivery here did the IPO. So I was lucky enough to monetize some invested options. And so I did some angel investing. I wanted to found a fund. So because people asked me, but I can help them. That's why I can, how I can get easily in touch with founders. And then I monetize it to investing. Even organized investment syndicates where with 15 other uh, entrepreneurs, we uh, investors, we collectively invested 300, 500k. So smaller, but so did all of those things. And then I realized, actually, I'm not sure whether I want to be an investor because I'm managing other people's money. I would rather like to build and to build marketing teams and to help other founders to set up the marketing system. And also I realized that being like this interim CMO thing, freelancer or building some random agency also didn't feel sexy. Also, And then I was asked, Hey, do you want to, don't you want to join any move? Like then it was a different name. 
And I was like, oh, wow. So this is about a marketplace company in mobility world. I also work with Tier Mobility. It's a cool team. And so now I can become an entrepreneur, what I wanted in the first place. So why not do it? Why not do it? And then I joined uh, the team. And then you, now you left the operational position and now you're a board member there, right? Exactly. So roughly two and a half years after founding it, I left the operational role because, so as you can imagine, pre-product fit the company, the, the idea changed a lot. The team changed. We scaled up and down as every company did in this time. And what the company is doing right now is uh, something where I cannot contribute operationally as much. So basically we went from B2C company to providing a software for basically B2B, basically for car dealers and for current companies. So it's full B2B, even more enterprise mm. and B2C product is not so important anymore. So I realized it makes sense to, to leave uh, operational role. And of course, I'm still a shareholder. I'm super interested in making it successful. So I'm still supporting uh, my successor and David, the CEO, uh, yeah. regularly. These years seem very rocky, actually, from, from after Fedora to post Anymove, because you've basically done two or three bigger bets, like I'm starting my own perfume brand, and you did the freelance gigs, then Anymove, and Anymove, the, and fund. the yeah. fund, sorry again, yeah, totally true, and nothing of them felt really great, so you, and you were probably still operating, if I'm interpreting this correctly, you were still operating with an old Alexei operating system, right? So how did you cope with those missed bets? I assume that you didn't pull out like 5 million out of Fedora back then. I think the acquisition was somewhere in the 15 million. So it's, yes, you had a cushion and stuff, but it's probably not that you were like, okay, I never have to work again. So there was some pull to still keep on the grind, right? Like how do you, how did you regulate yourself in this time? And then at what time did you then, at what time did you realize, okay, shit, I probably need to install a new operating system? Yeah. So in terms of the acquisition, it was actually a really nice nine-digit uh, exit, but the employees just has very little equity. So uh, still your analysis is, is correct that I still need to work. So that was a nice cushion. And you're also right, it was very rocky. And so my analysis that whenever it got a little bit more tricky, yeah, when, when, so why did it not feel right? It's because there were some challenges and I didn't want to go through those challenges. So I think I basically told myself sorry, which was not true at that point. Um, I rationalized, I didn't feel right. And after any move, I was like, okay, so maybe it's time now to understand why I changed several times now. Like there was actually a pattern, like three, four times changing after one year, two years of certain thing. And I also look at entrepreneurs that were successful, be it Oliver or others, all of them have in common that they usually do something for free at least five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. If you look at the richest people in the world, they all do something for 30 plus years. So basically, why can I do the same? If that's the common denominator of successful entrepreneurs, that was the question. So I started with coaching and therapy and reading and self-reflection and it took some time. So I tried to answer this question. And, and what I realized is that I try to be a person I'm not mm -hmm. in, in cell many times. And then at some point when it gets tough, then being this other person get, becomes more and more difficult. This means for me that I need to understand who I am, what do I want, what do I value? Because if I know that, it doesn't matter what happens to me. 
I'm still authentic. I'm still who I am. I'm still doing what I want, still doing what I like. So that was a big realization after talking to a lot of people and also a lot of introspection, also some support. And now I have this map of myself, which I'm still iterating every two, three, four weeks probably. And I tried to create a business which, which, which I can do for 10 plus years just because I'm super authentic um, with that business. So that's what I realized. And that's why I'm like, I look back at the last 14 years and I just tried to find a common denominator. So marketing is one, building systems is one, setting up marketing teams is one, but venture, the venture game and software and technology is one. So let's try to combine all of those. It's literally amazing. This feels like the iteration on Ben's episode, literally what you're saying. This is like really goes deep in the operationalization. How can we, without going too deep in the nitty gritties, again, like my, my, my favorite question, which I'm slowly installing over time here is what's the most tangible takeaway regarding this map, which you're creating about yourself? Like maybe even yeah. where do you do it? Do you do it in Miro and G-Docs and Notion? And are there any super effective levels? And this can be like, hey, just speak to a coach, just go to a therapist, just talk to your five best friends. But what's your view on this? Yeah. So I'm not sure which one is the biggest. I can tell you the biggest unlocks for me in, on the journey and the directionable. The one was Miro, in fact, because I'm a person who thinks a lot and have all my thoughts and I didn't know how to bring them or how to document them in a way that I can look at them and optimize them. And I tried writing, but mm -hmm. writing is two-dimensional or one-dimensional, basically. You just write on the page and then there's the next page. But Myra, you can zoom out, zoom in, you can have different um, things. I can re Readjust. reposition them. Mm -hmm. I was actually a colleague, Julian, now from Anymove. He showed me his Myra world, and I was like, wow. And I, I used it, I applied it, and now it's much, much easier to organize what is in my head on paper. And it's not the, organi it's not the organizing that is unlocked. The unlock is that you can look at it and you can iterate it. And it's much, much easier to iterate something that's already written down than if it's in your head. And Myra just makes it much, much easier to organize what is in your head. And then iteration is a big unlock. So that's one. And the second one is it's a principle... Uh, that I heard from the um, show co-founder, Daniel. Crawl, walk, run. Everything is li in life is crawl, walk, run. So the first tries, whatever you do, whether it's creating this my life map or doing marketing or creating company, whatever, the first time you do it, you always suck. And then if, if you do it more and more times, then it can, so, tends to be good. And then at the end, you become really good. So first you crawl, then you walk, and then you run. And uh, I think in this uh, introspection and self-affection, just start with something. Just write the um, three main values or just write down what makes you happy or just write down what's your goal. And then over time, iterated, iterated by talking to people who are getting input. But my problem was I didn't start. And that's why so I didn't do the crawling because I was afraid that the crawling is so slow. So that's why I didn't start crawling. But when I did, it was much, much easier to progress. Man, I have a super, super nice example here, top of mind. It was just when we played a paddle last Friday that we had the first, after we met again, which was like three or four months ago, uh, super randomly in, in Mitte somewhere when I was having lunch on my own. And then you passed by and you were like, hey man, this is my former intern <laughs> sitting there eating. Let me just sit with him, which was like super cool to, to reconnect with you. So anyways, on Friday, we had our first more, more or less like conflict 
while playing paddle. And what I'm just realizing is, and I haven't written this down, but I should have. So we like, we got into this habit of playing pedal together. Alexei is getting very competitive in it. And I am like an original tennis player. So I'm not too bad at pedal, but speak to, play too infrequently. And so Alexei has this very competitive angle. I'm like currently, or we, we currently also played as a form of catch up. And then on Friday, we lost again our match after like just after actually being on a very good level already. And it was more or less just psychological. And so we got a bit annoyed at each other. And uh, I think what got very clear here is that I also got annoyed with myself because I'm actually not doing sports for only for the sake of just playing. So there needs to be a competitive element, even for me, although my primary purpose is also spending time with you and, and reconnecting and just because I really enjoy it. And it's probably somewhere similar for you, but there's of course also there, oh, and that's, there's the competitive edge. So we just got, I got annoyed at myself and we got annoyed at each other. And this kind of just shows me that there has to be a, some type of utility in the, when you do the sports, right? So some type of probably competitiveness and fierceness and just, just putting this onto paper and then testing it and iterating it and also being preventive about like next events, which you then organize in this way could be a bit over-engineered here in the, in this episode, but this just had to, I had to put it out there. So the learning here is that it's easy to iterate code. It's easy to iterate a Facebook ad. It's obvious. Everyone does it. But what is counterintuitive that it's the same about your thoughts and your behavior. And basically what we did is, uh, uh, Christian, so we started because we no, met, we had fun, we played, we talked. So we, we crawled yeah? and I realized, ah, okay, in this regard, we have, it, it doesn't work so well. So now we iterated. So now we don't play as much pedal anymore, but we just spent our time talking rather. So that's iteration. And that's what's so counterintuitive. Yeah? So see your own behavior as a system, a process, and just realize that the beginning is always not perfect because you don't know what perfect is. Yeah. Hey, and I don't know whether you wanted to make three points out of it. So first unlock is Myro, second unlock is iterative or iterations on behavior. Was there a third yeah. one? Yes, coaching and learning basically. So I, I think there's there are certain areas in the life which are extremely important for a good life. One is health which is usually around exercise and eating well. Um, the other one is business, whatever it is that you're doing, you want to be good at it. And then what, the third one is emotional. And I think it's fine to have a personal trainer or something like this. It's fine to have a business coach. It's still not everyone got it, but I think it's fine. But to have an emotional coach or as, you, as most people call it, a therapist, it still has still this kind of st stigma. But I think that emotional intelligence, and this is what you basically, a lot of the therapy is about emotional intelligence is one of the most most important skills so a huge unlock for me was working my emotional intelligence and it's incredibly hard to do it by yourself you need someone to help you with that that's the third biggest unlock you can just pay out of pocket it's not that expensive you don't if you don't want to deal with some health insurance stuff so i would probably advise just get some therapy sessions and pay out of your pocket amazing then to let's maybe use this also to switch gears into online marketing or marketing in general and also your current service offering. And I like full transparency here. I also, I already told you like before the convo, I, of course, like everyone does his research. And then I also had a quick chat with a friend with whom I also recorded another episode. 
and asked him, hey, man, like you've been looking for an interim CMO. What do you what would you ask? What would you actually try to figure out? And he like David Chevalier, like you'll listen to this episode, you'll probably get to know him soon. Like he met the co-founders of Chili Piper, I think, because they co-organized an event over the weekend. So what he did is the, the he sent me a LinkedIn post, which you commented, where there was basically the discussion about brand equity or like really marketing focusing also on a more maybe even a cultural identity and strategic aspect versus being fully performance oriented. You, I think, brand yourself or like you, you're about systems designs, system designs, so like building scalable engines for companies. Like how do you, or what do you think, what's on in your head when I drop all of these things, which I just said? As mentioned before, I changed my setups a lot of times. So that has a ton of disadvantages, but the big advantage is that I have seen so many companies and the marketing systems and the marketing teams and the marketing strategies and see, saw them over time, how they develop, whether it was successful or not. So probably I worked with more than 30 directly and I uh, spoke with way more. So I have a, a, quite some data points about the setups. And what I realized is that depending on the stage of your company, you need something completely different in terms of marketing. I found this framework where there are six levels of a marketing team or marketing function. The first level is you're the founder. You have an idea and you just go out. You maybe have an offer or a product idea and you just talk to customers and try to sell it somehow. That's the first. You don't need marketing. You just talk to people and try to sell um, by yourself, maybe with your founders. Second level is um, where you have um, different customers, different offers, different marketing. So you go really broad, go really broad and try to figure something out that works. And ideally at some point you hit product market fit. So you, in your experimentation, very broad experimentation, you found something that actually works, your customer's happy. And then you're like, wow, seems like I have something here. I want to scale. Now I want to make a real business out of it. So then comes level three. And that's where I call it flip the switch. That's where everything changes because in the first two levels, you need to go broad. You need to try, you need to experiment as, as diverse, as variable as possible. But then if it's about scaling, what works, it's about focus. It's about processes, it's about systems. It's about optimizing, not going to an adventure. Completely different setup. And it's pretty difficult to go from level two to three because you need to deconstruct the company uh, or the marketing function and reconstruct in a different way. Then if you go to three to four, then you have more marketing channels, more funnels. If you go to four to five, you have maybe more offers so that you can increase the lifetime value. And then level six is basically having more, more customers, going to more markets. Uh, and then imagine it goes on, but that's not where I have so much experience. Um, and, just going and where does, or going cross products or what would it be? Yeah, I think it's, so if you think about Facebook, for example, yeah? so basically Facebook is, so Mark Zuckerberg basically has a lot of different business units or Amazon, right? The Amazon has Amazon web services and they have the marketplace and they have the echo. Um, so, so at some point companies become all about capital education, yeah? but that's not my, that's above my pay grade. Yeah. I'm focused on where they have a product and focus on the marketing system to, to bring this product to the market. And where come brands, where does brand come into play? It comes into play when you have multiple, multiple marketing funnels, you have multiple offers, then you have this uh, overspill effect from one funnel to the other, from one offer to the other, then it makes sense to, to have a really neat brand and communicate about the brand because just, your, your offer is just broad. Yeah? So, so it's stage two or three? It's actually sta stage probably five, where, okay. uh, so between four and five. 
So if I translate this to revenue, probably it's around, starting about it at four or five million revenue per year. That's where you should early start thinking about it. Because before it's about having one customer ICP, one customer profile, having one offer and having one funnel. So basically you, you figure out who has a big problem and how to solve it. And then you just try as many people as possible to have this problem. And in B2B, often it's actually outreach, whether it's via LinkedIn or cold email or cold calling even. That's what usually is enough to get to a certain point. In B2C, it's that are different ways, either some paid ads on one channel or um, using an existing community like consumer brands, often Instagram influencer-based. So there, but usually it's one thing that gets you to a certain level. And only if you diversify the funnels and diversify the offers, because the one thing that you use to scale is completely saturated. Yeah, only then you go broad and then it makes sense uh, to focus on a brand. And so that's why in marketing, it's very confusing because the founders, usually they don't know which step, which level they are. They don't know which, how does a good marketing setup look like level two versus three versus four versus five. If you have been in level two to four, you don't know how five and six looks like. So if then someone who has been at five talks about brand and you're at level two, you think, oh, wow, this person at this really big company talks about brand. So probably he knows what he's talking about. He does, but for the level where he has been in and not for your level. So it's, yeah, so it's relatively difficult without really knowing what, where you are right now and what you need. It's very difficult to take advice from the internet yeah? because marketing is, can be everything and nothing. And how can founders self-educate? Like, I think it's probably super interesting for first time founders, right? Yes. Like how can they or like non-marketing funds basically a team, which doesn't cover these functions, how can they figure out, do you have a self-assessment or something? Yeah, it's very good idea. I thought I actually about it last week, so I guess I should tap one. So what I think makes more sense is to basically talk to founders that are two steps ahead and ask them how they went there. So basically I have, let's say half a million of revenue and I want to go to three, four, five. Just ask people that are today at 8 million or 5 million. Yeah? How did you get there? I think that's the best way basically to ask people that have gone there, but they shouldn't be four, five, seven steps ahead. They should be two steps ahead so they can help you to go to the next step. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's the most uh, actionable way. And uh, the other one is, so there's now is a big trend of productizing services and all so that I, I spoke of marketing, but it's similar in operations, product and tech and so on there, all those setup levels. So they're a big trend of experts, advisors, coaches, um, uh, building those companies, which can help you to go from one level to the other. So you don't need to go yourself. Hey, and finally, what are you currently building? So I call it CMO as a service company, because what is the goal of a, what is the role of a CMO? Usually it's to upgrade the organization to the next level. And so CMO is thinking half a year plus ahead. It's so upgrading company, usually between level two, three, four, you cannot afford a CMO. doesn't make sense for the CMOs as well. So I basically help you to upgrade from level two to three, three to four, maybe even four to five. And have a program where you, which you go through a mix of different elements, but I'm confident that I can help you to go through the next level in your marketing setup. And only B2B, B2C, like what's the... Yeah. Um, so of course my, most of my experience is B2C. I also have some B2B partners, which have really nice results. So right now I'm right agnostic. And so I'm 
personally in uh, level uh, two right now, where I go relatively mm. broad, <laughs> so that at some point I can go to level three. But uh, I need to first go broad to go focused. And like only in Germany or Europe, or only in the uh, also in the US. Yeah. So I think what makes most sense is to have a similar time zone: in Europe, South Africa, Middle East. I think that's the regions. I went once to a workshop. I did once a workshop in, in Cairo of the gorillas of mm. Egypt. That was very exciting. Also, Fedora work with 20 different countries across four continents. It was interesting to organize calls where Australia and Canada were and Europe were in the same call. So I like to work international. I think it's uh, the borders are not so important here. Um, so you've worked with, so, so you're currently in stage two, you're saying, and you've even worked with people in Cairo. When I think different cultures, different verticals you're probably addressing right now, different models, so B2C, B2B, software, non-software, it seems like there's crazy diversity you're currently dealing with. And at the same time, probably some challenges which are similar, right? Is there anything which you could lead us through or, or, or give us your insights which you're currently gathering? Yeah. So, there, so what I realized is that, and there's a quote from Alex Ramosi, which really stuck with me, who you are is what you do. So this means that if you really want to change what you do and the outcomes, and usually they come to me because they want to change something, you need to start with yourself and change who you are. And this starts usually with the founder or the CMO or yeah, whoever is responsible owning the, the marketing revenue function. And this continues with the team that's already there in the setup. But what I realized is that the most important aspect is the mindset and the identity of the responsible person. So if they think I am not good at marketing, the marketing setup they have will not be good. It's a limiting belief. So basically my main job is to change the mindset and the identity of the person responsible for marketing. That's the biggest unlock actually in my work, but it's a little bit counterintuitive and also it's a little bit hard for people because change is hard, <laughs> but that's what I, I realized. And because in the end, marketing is, can be very simple. So what is marketing about? Marketing is about creating revenue. What is revenue about? Revenue is some person, some human deciding to send you money. Those humans decide for emotional and for rational reasons. Those humans have people influencing them, their spouse, the boss, the CFO, the Instagrammer on the TikToker, the The president, whoever, there are some people influencing them in the decision. Usually there's a certain path where they think about it in this decision, where you need to take their hand and say, hey, no more, I got you covered. This is what you need to think about. Usually they want to see other people that are using it. So it's, it's, they need some kind of social proof. So those are things about humans that are, that are true for everyone. So there's some truth behind all of that. And as soon as people are willing to accept that actually can be done and it's all about them changing then it works really well and let's also move, this is now on the more abstract level on a very tangible level how would this look like let's assume you go into a startup in berlin and they are not that good at marketing right now for whatever reason maybe it's the product maybe it's the distribution but like how would the mindset level look like for them when you say it's about the mindset Yeah. So at every level, it's a different mindset that is uh, necessary. So uh, 
um, to make a very simple example, so level two means going broad and trying and experimenting and doing. And level three is about having the right strategy and focusing on what really works. And that's a huge change because uh, usually as an entrepreneur in the beginning, you need to produce volume. You need to produce a certain number of podcasts. Yeah? At some point, more podcasts will not bring you anywhere. Like going from 100 to 101 podcast, it's about then maybe having the right people or having the right content of the podcast. It's not about volume. It's about doing the right thing. And that's a huge change in how they see their business, how they see themselves. They need to think more. So do less and think that more so that you do the right thing. And that's just a huge change that they need to go through. But yeah, that's the only way to, to up-level. Cool. So it's like the, ah, okay. So it's the, the shift in the mindset. That's how you trans- So the shift in the mindset is usually what en- enables the up-leveling. Mm-hmm. And super interesting. This basically also applies to the entire conversation, what, you, what you've told us in the very beginning. Let's just do a couple of rapid fire questions just because I'm interested in this stuff. What are you currently listening to or reading? <laughs> That's funny. This is the book I will be reading now. Nice. Yeah, no, mindset it's uh, basically the person who invented the growth mindset versus fixed mindset i'm reading this list right now so uh, my approach is basically what is currently on in my head and then i try to find the best book in the world about this topic and learn from the best in the book. nice who's the mo- who's currently inspiring you or who's the most inspiring person who you draw all of these steps from yeah so right now i'm mostly focused on people in a similar industry. So people that have built a consulting and coaching, coaching company to eight digit uh, uh, revenue level. So it's Alex Hermosi in the States and it's Andreas Baulich in Germany, who is a bit of controversial figure, but he's a genius. So nice. And then last one, what's your current pedal score and what's your aspired pedal score until end of the year? It's way too low. It's way too low. I'm a bit embarrassed from a current pedal score. <laughs> <laughs> then let's just do the aspired one. I don't know. If I can go to level two, then I think it's good. I started this year and level two is usually after two, three years. So if we can do it in one year, I think I will be happy. Okay, nice. Hey, Alexei, thank you very much for this. Very, I don't know whether the word is substantiated, but it was like very, there was lots of con- content dense and still very, as always, very calm and super insightful discussion. Yeah. Or conversation. Christian, thank you. It was a lot of fun. And I hope some people will take something valuable out of it. Thanks for listening to Nonlinear. If you like the content, subscribe to this podcast on Spotify. Follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. That's at IamKrishi3. Three as the number and Krishi with S-C-H-I. Reach out on any of the platforms if you have comments, questions, or just want to chat.